Good morning, everyone. It is the 17th of January. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Pella Strataki and Alex Byrne. Financial markets were mixed, struggling to find direction last week as some major data points were announced. US CPI inflation was expected to jump even higher in December and came in exactly in line with these high expectations. Alex, were the drivers any different to what we've been seeing in recent months? Morning, Lorna. Yes, the inflation print was the highest we've had in four decades. 7% print versus 6.8% in November. But encouragingly, in part, the month-on-month gains moderated to 0.5% between November and December, down slightly from 0.8% in the previous period. Worryingly, though, the core inflation, which is without the food and energy prices, accelerated even quicker to 5.5% from 4.9% in the previous month. There's nothing really in the data that says it's fared any meaningful way. Largest contributors were rents and accommodation costs. Also, secondhand car prices were strong contributors. Food prices, dining out costs also rose 6% year on year. Broadly, there are further signs that inflation is picking up in a wide cross-section of the economy and the risk of it being entrenched is rising. This is the biggest risk for the Fed. It is indeed. But on the other side of the world, we also had CPI inflation data from China, which seemed to fall a little short of expectations, Pella. Thank you, Lorna. Indeed, consumer inflation came in at 1.5% in December, down from November's 2.3% figure. Producer price inflation fell to 10.3% in December from 12.9% a month ago. Both consumer and producer price inflation readings were notably below market expectations, and the interpretation there is those figures were influenced by soft demand and the government's recent moves to tame the prices of raw materials, particularly coal. If we stay with China then, the trade surplus hit record levels in December. Is it rising exports or falling imports that are driving this figure upwards? It's in fact both. China posted a record trade surplus in December and in 2021 as a whole, as exports particularly outperformed expectations. The trade surplus hit $676 billion in 2021, which is the highest since records began in 1950. China also posted a record trade surplus for the month of December on the back of robust exports and slowing import growth. Essentially, you've seen a shift in spending from services to goods during the pandemic, and that is boosting Chinese manufacturing and exports at this moment. But just this morning, we've had China's Q4 GDP data. Bad enough to prompt an interest rate cut from the People's Bank of China. So, China's GDP grew at its slowest pace in 18 months in the fourth quarter, as the country grappled with lingering weakness in consumption, a property slowdown, and very strict measures to contain the virus. In Q4 2021, Chinese GDP expanded 4% year-on-year. This exceeded economists' forecasts, actually, but is well short of the 6.5% growth that we had over the same period in 2020. And indeed, as you point out, Lorna, the PBOC announced that it would be lowering the interest rate on its MLF loans to financial institutions by 10 basis points. So this lending rate is now coming down uh, from 2.95% to 2.85%. And Alex, the Q4 GDP data for Germany were forecast to show a negative quarter. How did they come in? And is Germany perhaps facing a technical recession? That's right, Lorna. It did come in negatives. GDP shrank as much as 1% in the final quarter, obviously hurt by that supply chain bottleneck problem and the further lockdown restrictions that Germany had in place. 
GDP remains 2% below pre-COVID levels. Service sector has obviously been hit hard at their busiest time of the year. The overall number stopped from becoming further negative by high government spending. This gives us a recovery in 2021 around 2.7% from the 4.6% shrink in the COVID-19 hit 2020 numbers. Interestingly, the 2021 numbers would be 0.5% lower without the license fees earned by BioNTech on their vaccines. The expectation is a strong recovery in early summer once those restrictions completely come off and the seasonality of COVID wanes. So we aren't in a recession yet, but the risk of a technical recession rises significantly in the spring if this recovery isn't forthcoming in the early part of the first quarter. We'll certainly be watching how those figures develop. But looking at the week ahead, though, the banks sector will continue the kickoff of the US Q4 reporting season, Alex. That's right. Very interesting quarter this year. US bank sector is up nearly 6% on a year-to-day basis, and that's in contrast to the S&P overall, which is down 2%. Big beneficiaries, obviously, of new lending and high yields, driven by that change in the trajectory of the Fed's rate. This season's a big test to see whether value and cyclicals can outperform tech, and can this be sustainable? Also, a first-hand look at how different companies are dealing with inflation. It could be a watershed moment in growth, separating those sector leaders which have the ability to pass on that inflation rise versus those less likely with lower quality. The expectation is for 20% year-on-year growth, but it could come in at 25-30%. Those cyclicals, which make about 20% of the market alone, could drive this with expectations of those doubling. Yes, and it'll be interesting to hear the corporate guidance as well on those numbers. Any other data series to be aware of for this week? We have a Bank of Japan meeting, which could be very interesting, but probably not. They are the least pressured interrate rises of all the developed banks, arguably. The most important part will probably be their inflation outlook. Currently, they expect a 1.5% rise, although it's less likely that nothing will change. We also have Euro CPI numbers expected that the 5% that we had from last month will hold steady, but the potential to be higher and the follow the US trend is significant. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.